Well, good morning, everyone. Nayaswami Devarshi and myself, Tiagi Lisa, would like to welcome you to Sunday service today. It's quite a joyful weekend. We can hear the birds outside. There was a beautiful, intimate wedding yesterday, and there's another one today. And we have a lot of guests here at the Expanding Light and special guests at the meditation retreat. So it seems like spring is turning into summer <clears throat> and lots of new activity happening. <clears throat> so we'll continue with our reading this morning from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries of the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. And today's reading is on the inner kingdom. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Most people imagine that the inner kingdom, as Jesus described it, lacks the fascination they attribute to sense life. The bright lights, the diverse attractions, the joys, and the laughter. Little do they realize what a vast universe exists in their own selves. There are many passages in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible that describe aspects of this inner kingdom. In the book of Genesis, we read, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This garden was in no earthly place. It exists even now in the very self of every human being. The legend of Adam and Eve is allegorical. It describes how the first human beings dissipated their spiritual energy centered in the spine. The spine is the channel through which flows the river of baptism and of spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita tells us, The wise speak of an eternal Ashvata tree with its roots above and branches below. The tree of life, spoken also in Genesis, is the spine. Its roots are above in the brain's energy. Its branches are the outward-spreading nervous system. When the sap, which is to say the energy, flows downward, the consciousness is drawn into delusion. On the other hand, when the energy is drawn upward in deep meditation, the consciousness is drawn towards its eternal source, God, and is at last united with Him. Krishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, therefore urges his chief disciple, Arjuna, to embrace the yoga science the path of meditation. The yogi, he says, is greater than the ascetic, greater even than the followers of the path of wisdom, jnana yoga, or of action, karma yoga. Be thou, O Arjuna, a yogi. For those who would find the divine truth, Krishna gives this description of the yogi. Steadfast a lamp burns, sheltered from the wind, Steadfastly meditating, solitary, such is the likeness of the yogi's mind, shut from sense storms and burning bright to heaven. Wherever you are, whatever your outward beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your soul. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
I would also like to welcome everyone today here at Ananda Village and those who are watching through the internet. It's a beautiful spring day here at Ananda. This is a reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramhansa Yogananda. Bless me, Father, that I behold the eastern star of wisdom. May it shine before my human eyes as much in daylight as in darkness. Long my eyes were blinded by the tinsel glitter of materiality. Seeing things always outwardly, I saw not the spirit behind and within them. I saw the mustard seed of matter, but spied not the oil of spirit that it contained. My third eye of wisdom is now opened. Oh, may it always be so. Let the gaze of my single eye of realization penetrate through every veil of matter to behold the infinite presence of Christ everywhere. Bless me that my sacred wise thoughts, following this star of knowledge, lead me to the Christ in everything. Om. Amen. The topic today is the inner kingdom. There is a, a story told about how God manifested this earth and also hid himself in creation. And at the beginning, it was a little too easy for people. People found God very, very easily. And so God finally one day asked one of these lovers of God who had become one with God, I want people to have to search for me to find me. And I was thinking that I would hide in the depths of the deepest cave on earth. And then people would take a long time to find me. And this devotee, who also knew human ways, said, no, no, it's too easy. Humankind are very curious and inquisitive, and they'll go searching. They'll find you before too long. And so God said, okay, let's see. How about if I hide myself in the farthest reaches of the stars, beyond the very edge of the universe? And the devotee said, no, Lord, too easy. Eventually, people will come across you. Again, they'll be exploring and searching everywhere. And finally, God says, well, how about the depths of the ocean in the darkest, most hidden place? And this devotee again said, Lord, that's even easier. People will find you there most easily. At this point, if God could get frustrated, he would have been getting frustrated. <laughs> so he said to this devotee, you tell me where I can hide. That would be the very last place that people would look. And this very wise lover of God and devotee, and again, who knew the human ways, said the last place people will ever look is within each and every one of their souls, inside themselves. Hide there, and people will spend a very long time looking for you everywhere else. The stars, the caves, science, the senses. And finally, only after many, many lifetimes of seeking will they come to really look for you where you really are. And that's how God hid within our very selves. I think probably anyone here at this point, being in this room, watching on the internet, by now you've searched the farthest stars, you've searched everywhere, you've searched through the senses, through acquiring material wealth and all these different things, and you finally start to realize what this topic is today, which is that there is an inner kingdom. The inner kingdom has been spoken of by all religions. Even in the Old Testament, it talked about the two trees on either side, and the seven lamps describing the seven chakras. And essentially, this inner kingdom is the foundation of the entire science of yoga. The whole science of yoga and all of our practices are based on this truth, which is how we were created 
and it's essentially a roadmap of how we get back out. And so someone who is sincerely interested in finding their way home studies this roadmap, becomes very acquainted with the science of yoga and this inner kingdom, and learns how to use it to find God. And that essentially describes the spiritual path. Paramahansa Yogananda was extraordinary in the way he taught these, these two things and brought them together. In his early days in America, I understand that there was another group from India, and some of them thought that devotion was the only way to God. And they thought, in their understanding, that Yogananda was teaching these advanced techniques like Kriya Yoga, and that it could actually be harmful just to practice techniques. And of course, they didn't understand that he was talking about the whole science of yoga and techniques and using them with devotion. You also read about people who met Yogananda, who were very wise and learned and thought they knew all about the whole science of yoga and these esoteric truths. And they came away from Yogananda thinking that he was this sort of airhead, blissed-out devotee with his feet away off the ground and who just didn't really understand the deeper science of yoga and religion. And in fact, he brought the two together in a way that I have never seen anyone do before or since. And it's the power of the combination of yoga, the techniques, the practices, combined with deepest yearning for God, that is how we get out of delusion the most quickly. And in a sense, everything that we do here at Ananda is guided by the science of yoga and by this inner science. We may not notice it at first, but even, and I'll give two examples, devotional chanting is essentially a yoga technique. Why is it a yoga technique? You may, if you just love the devotion and the bhakti, you might think, it's not a yoga technique. I don't want to see it as a yoga technique. But you'll find that if you inform your devotional practices with the roadmap, with the science of yoga, they become much more effective. This is why Yogananda taught devotional chanting in a very particular way that is not very common. He taught to use the chant, use the devotion, to awaken the energy of the heart, and then start chanting it more inwardly, more quietly, and then finally mentally, and then finally even beyond that with deep feeling. And essentially what the science of yoga teaches is that the heart chakra, the heart center, so much of our energy is going out into attachment and desire, into emotion. And what devotion does, it awakens and energizes that center, but it also starts to focus it. And then by taking it more inwardly, it starts to reverse the flow of energy that's been going out through the heart center and reverses it and brings it up to the spine and offers it up to the spiritual eye, to the light of God. And so when we use devotional chanting in that way, rather than just as a way to get rowdy and raucous and stir up emotion, which you see a lot. You see a lot of devotional chanting. It gets faster and faster and louder and louder and then ends with this big splash. And then they go on to the next chant and go on and on and on. And all that does is stir up emotion. And Yogananda said this. He said, bhakti yoga, yoga of devotion, if you have that, you will never fall spiritually. So actually, that's the most important. It's the starting place. But he said, if you don't combine it with the science and with the technique, you'll just end up becoming emotional and emotional over and over again, and even more emotional. And so when we practice even our devotional practices combined with technique, they become more effective. Yogananda, the way he put it, he said, you must talk to God through devotion and technique. And you do the two of them together. And another good example is we have these beautiful altars that we worship at. And sometimes we're tempted to think that it's all about the altar, and that's really 
what it's all about, and that's the reality. And people have deep experiences going up to an altar like this or in your meditation room where you might look at a picture of Yogananda and you offer the flowers and he's, his eyes become alive and he talks to you and you have a deep experience. But Yogananda said, take that within. Use that outer experience and start turning it within. The real altar, he said, is the altar of the spine. And the real doorway that we go out and merge with God is at the spiritual eye. And just as that chant that we were doing, sitting at the door of my soul, that's what, that describes sitting at the real altar of God, with our eyes closed, offering ourselves up, sitting at the door of my soul, and praying to God, light thy resurrecting lamp, light that light at my spiritual eye, and help me to merge into you. And so devotion and technique combined is the way to God. Swami Kriyananda's book, The Art and Science of Raja Yoga, I think it's underappreciated in this day and age, but I think Someday it's going to be, maybe even hundreds of years, of years from now, it will still be out there and still be used because it takes these teachings and explains essentially what Yogananda taught. Practice yoga, practice technique, understand science, use it as a roadmap to get back to God. People who just practice the yoga of devotion, for example, you might, uh, they might be lost. A good analogy is someone who is lost and they don't want to ask for directions because out of pride or, oh, I'm a bhakti yogi, I don't do technique or I don't understand science. But no, it's the combination of these two that will get us to divine freedom. It's interesting, people also look at this inner life as something that's impractical. But in fact, it's probably the most practical thing that you can do is to live this inner life because it starts to change you and starts to affect your outer life. An analogy I like to use is when I was in grade school, we would take a, a piece of paper and put iron filings on the top. And then we would put um, a horseshoe magnet underneath. And the iron filings would go and correspond to the, the magnet. Well, you couldn't see the magnet. You couldn't tell what was going on. It was almost like magic if you didn't know there was a magnet under there. And you would rearrange the iron filings. And they would just go back to the underlying magnetism. The science of yoga understands this principle and by changing ourselves inside, it changes our magnetism, and the outer events of our life start to change. Good things start getting drawn to us. Uh, good thoughts even, good experiences, the right people, the right circumstances. And so much of modern life, people are trying to change the circumstances, whether it's changing their hair color or changing their job or changing their spouse. And sometimes these things can help a little bit. But probably... <laughs> but probably only to the extent that the energy you put out in those ways is starting to change the underlying magnetism. Even thoughts, Yogananda said, thoughts are universally rooted. And great thoughts and great music is not something that someone creates. It's something that you tune into and draw to yourself through your own magnetism. Again, even in the most practical way, even in the matters of plumbing, which I'm going to share an experience I had at Ananda. I worked at the Crystal Hermitage many years ago. And the fountain on the front door of the Crystal Hermitage was doing something strange, and no one could figure out what the problem was, how to fix it, what was going on. Experts came and looked at it. They couldn't figure it out. They all left. And finally, I was the maintenance person there, so I was stuck with the problem. I had to figure it out. And Swami Kriyananda was eager to have this, this problem solved. And one day I was meditating. I was doing Kriya Yoga, practicing devotion, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, 
I wasn't supposed to be thinking about this plumbing problem during deep meditation. <laughs> and in fact, I really wasn't. It's just out of the blue, an inspiration came, a thought that explained what the solution was. And it was an odd solution that no expert would have gotten in a book. It just came to me through divine inspiration to fix a plumbing problem. This inner life, when you change yourself inside, is the most practical thing you can do. And Ananda is the fruit of that. We have a lot of people here who, on a certain level, me too, are impractical on certain levels outwardly. But when you live for God, when you change yourself inside, then the circumstances of the world start, just like those iron filings, start to change, start to become magnetized and start to form into solutions rather than into difficulties and problems. Live this inner life, and you'll find that it's the greatest thing that you can do with your life. A good analogy that I've used before is that I'm going to give you some investment advice today. So take, take good note of it and go running home and uh, invest, okay? This is going to be the hottest tip you are ever going to get, which is that in investment, if you keep putting money into a property or into some, something and it keeps depreciating in value, eventually becoming worthless. That's called a bad investment, okay? <laughs> well, most people in their lives, they are investing their money, their life force, their everything about themselves they're seeking into something that is a depreciating asset, which is the human body. And let me give you a, a tip, and I, I guarantee this is going to happen. The value is going to go down to zero. It's at some point. <laughs> Swami quotes the, the author of James Bond, Ian Fleming, who said that in the end it's just ashes, old man, just ashes. There's another great modern sage, Charles Barkley, who some of you may have heard of. <laughs> the way he put it was, Father Time is undefeated. And eventually that's where we go. It's interesting how many people and starting, especially in, in modern times, are starting to have uh, near-death and afterlife experiences and coming back. It's almost like it's the time for people to start having that experience, and God decided, okay, I'm going to start using people to get the word back. And it's very interesting, the message that comes back, is that it's, it's non-sectarian, for one thing, which is very, very interesting. It's not about praise Jesus or praise Allah or praise anybody. Swami tells a joke, which people here, many have probably heard before. Uh, and it's one of those jokes that someone will probably be offended by it, so let me apologize ahead of time. <laughs> so, Swami has quoted an Italian saying, is that, a saying from Italy, that it's better to lose a friend than to pass up the opportunity to tell a good joke. So, but, so, Swamiji told this joke, so I'm going to tell it. And he said it was about someone who had a, a near-death experience and died clinically for a long time, and they finally brought him back, and it was a miracle. The doctor said it was a miracle. The first thing this person said was, I saw God, I saw God. And he was in a great state of excitement. And this was in the Deep South. And there was a lot of ministers down there who were very, very interested to know what he saw when he saw God. And so they finally all gathered themselves, went into his room, demanded, got past the doctors, gathered around him. And at the least this 
story, this joke, and at that time, the people in the room, the ministers, the evangelists, were all of a particular skin color and a particular gender. And so they were very eager to find out what did he see. And he finally came to, and they started trying to force it out of him, and he just wouldn't tell them. He was very reticent. And they thought he was just being humble or whatever. And finally, he started to tell them, and he said, let me warn you, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. And yes, I did see God. And here they were on the edges of their seats. And he said, she's black. <laughs> when, when Swami told this joke one time, an Indian woman came up and said, oh, it was Kali, it was Kali, they, they saw Kali. And Kali is a, is a form of God in India, and she has very, very dark skin. But it's also interesting because even Yogananda wrote a chant or played a chant that may be a, a traditional Bengali chant that alludes to Kali. And it's, who tells me thou art dark, O my mother divine. And it, he said that it refers to God being worshipped as Kali. But then the next line is, thousands of suns and moons from thy body do shine. And he's essentially saying, people say that you are in this form of Kali, and in this case, it's, she's black in that particular instance, but God has no form. Divine Mother has no form. She's formless. She's in everything, and she is as bright and vast as all the stars and galaxies in infinite space. And so use these outer forms as a way of turning them within. Tune into God, worship God as Kali or the Guru or Divine Mother, but then take it deeper and deeper within and offer yourself into that experience understanding the science of yoga, understanding all of these things, and eventually that will take you home. So practice yoga, practice devotion, practice them always together. Let your devotion inform and guide your yoga practices. Let your yoga practices inform and guide your devotion. And you will find that, as Yogananda promised, these things have the power to bring you home to God in this lifetime, as he put it. He was talking about the technique of Kriya Yoga specifically. He said, don't underestimate its power. He said, you should hope to become a free, a Jivan Mukta in this lifetime through the sacred practice. But he always taught to practice it, both with this understanding of the spine and the currents that our reading talked about, but also practicing it with the deepest sense of devotional self-offering. And eventually, this roadmap, this science, this inner science, combined with our native natural heart's yearning, will eventually bring us home to God. Use these things wisely, use them with energy, awareness, and best of all, use them with the deepest devotion and love for God. Blessings. <laughs>